Welcome to Always Andersonville, the podcast. I'm Laura. I'm David. Today we are joined by Virgil Downtree, owner of Downstate Donuts. Downstate Donuts has been cranking out life-changing donuts since 2018. Many were shocked that just after four months on the donut scene, they stole the show with first place at Donut Fest for a simple vanilla glazed donut. It's all about that potato. Chicago restaurant industry pro Virgil has taken the potato donut to new heights by focusing on fresh, local, and wholesome ingredients. You can find Downstate Donuts locally at Andale Market. Welcome, Virgil. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Why don't we start off with um, you telling us a little bit about yourself and your background? Yeah, so I'm a native of Chicago, um, born but not necessarily raised here. I was raised in Memphis, Tennessee, and uh, my family migrated back to Chicago when I was in high school. But uh, for, uh, I consider Chicago my hometown. Um, I graduated from uh, Northeastern Illinois University uh, with my bachelor's in political science and, and a minor in criminology. Um, but previous to that, I spent a lot of time in the restaurant industry as I was sort of hustling my way to pay for school. Um, I, I Previous to that, I, I went to culinary school also um, as a means of having sort of like a secondary degree to fall back on just in case I was not very happy with whatever career, ch- career path I was going to choose going after that. But um, that kind of led into a 10-year career in the food industry. I exited that after graduating from Northeastern and started my first business in 2015. Um, that was a... Um, it was called Connect Work. It was a recruiting sort of business development uh, company. That was the first one. My second company after that was uh, Run Free Media, which was started probably six months before Downstate Donuts. And that's sort of been put on the back burner for a little while now. But uh, Downstate Donuts was started back in 2018. And I've been making donuts for the past, what, two and a half years now, almost three years. So what were you going to do going into school with a with a poli-sci major what was the initial thought behind that I know that's like that's the the big question right it's like so yeah. what are you going to do with that art degree um well you know I, I intended to go into law school um I I'd studied for the LSAT a few times over uh it was quite a rigorous test for me um and I actually worked in the law field well, the, the law um I worked in that sector for a little while and did not like it. Uh, just realized it just didn't fit my personality and my skill set and didn't see myself working there long term. So you know, if I could have done anything, it would have been politics and law, which I worked in politics for a short period of time also. And just both of those were not attractive enough uh, after spending a little time in them to, to keep me around and keep me interested. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I was the same way. I um. I had this whole plan. I was going to go to law school and be a lawyer. And um, I was a philosophy major for undergrad, which is like a completely useless degree. Right. But, and then I was like, I, I don't want to be a lawyer. Like I met too many lawyers and I was like, I don't want to be a lawyer anymore. So I hear that, but I did not go into the donut making field. So, um, so why don't you tell us a little bit about, you know, how Downstate got started and talk to us about the history of the potato donut. Yeah, so Downstate was kind of like, um, was born out of um, a, a trip to the East Coast. Uh, I have a few friends who were getting married in Maryland, and my 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 uh, girlfriend, myself, and a few friends wanted to sort of do a two-week vacation. Um, it actually had been a week, but um, 
just sort of a, a road trip all the way through the Northeast, all the way up to Maine. And um, so we embarked on this journey uh, up to the Northeast corner. And while we were in Portland, Maine, um, we were looking for things to do. And this donut shop kept popping up as kind of more, one of the more attractive things uh, to, to see or to experience in that, in that city. And I kept thinking like, you gotta be kidding me, like a donut shop, like this is your top, you know, five things to, <laughs> to visit. And uh, surprisingly, it was after like a number of recommendations uh, going there, our friends going there before us, we went there and devouring like two dozen donuts in a matter of like 24 hours. It was like, wow, this is something really amazing. And the, I didn't really know what the donut shop was. I Once we got there, we figured out it was a potato, potato donut shop. And I thought these people are crazy up here. Like, why would they put potatoes in their donuts? Um, but after having the first bite, you know, I was just like, wow, this is pretty amazing. I never had anything like it previous to that. And that experience stuck with me after coming back to Chicago. And I could not find uh, this this donut anywhere in the city. I was like, how is it we're a world-class, you know, food city and, and we don't have this one particular thing that I had that was so memorable. And myself having a culinary background, uh, I felt like wow this is interesting that you have had this really amazing experience because I was kind of out of love with what was happening in Chicago with the food industry and it was such a transformative like thing around baking which I'm not a, a fan of um, that I decided okay let's figure out how to make this myself I just kind of wanted to create that moment again so I was telling my good friend Peter who was originally a co-founder he sort of moved on now but uh, I kept telling him about this, like I had this amazing donut. It was just great experience because uh, we're big foodies and we love to talk about food uh, at length just for hours on end. Um, so I started playing around with various recipes back in 2017 and got to a point where I was like, okay, I think I understand this. I can't find it, find it in Chicago. I think if I introduced this product here, um, it would it would go over pretty well. And so I kind of just teamed up with Peter and said, let's just figure out how to do this over the next three months. So towards the end of 2017, we would spend every every Monday just getting together and making various recipes for that week and sort of fine tuning it to the point where um, we found something that was like, okay, this is really good. Uh, undeniably good, probably better than anything we've had in this city. And let's just see what happens. Um, so the goal was to take it to Donut Fest, which is the big donut competition that happens uh, every year in January. And I figured at the very least, if we can go there, introduce it, get some feedback. If people don't like it, whatever, we gave it a shot. You know, it was a, it was a fun little experiment. And um, surprisingly, we won Best Donut. And I think from there, it was like, okay, this is like a legit business. And this is a really good product. Let's just see what happens. Um, so that was kind of the short form of the story, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And, and, at, and at Donut Fest, like how many other donuts are we talking about there? So there's probably at least another, uh, probably nine or 10 donut shops that were there besides ourselves. Uh, and some, you know, the notable players, of course, around Chicago. Um, and, you know, I just thought we didn't have a shot one. And two, we just didn't know what we were doing. And just to mention that day was, it was completely insane. We didn't know what we were doing. We didn't, in over our heads, we'd never made that many donuts in our life. Uh, I remember 10 minutes to the time that the event was supposed to start, we were loading up our car with donuts that hadn't even been iced yet. 
Uh, so it was this man rushed to get there, set up, and then we're I'm under the table like glazing donuts while Peter's essentially like trying to hand them out to um, some of the attendees. Uh, so it was a hectic day, but uh, yeah, it was it was a quite a unique experience, of course. Um, and I just I really thought just like let's just see what happens. That that was the goal. Was, let's just see what culminates out of this, and at the very least. We could just, you know, say, "Hey, we we tip our hats to the fact that we we tried something." If if if, if anything, where did um, Downstate come from? Uh, Downstate is it basically started with the idea that uh, I wanted if we were going to create a company um, around this product, it had to connect to rural America. Uh, I think was first and foremost. Uh, when you think potato, of course, you think farm. Um, you think farm fresh ingredients you think um something that's uh that's homey and this I, I had this vision of the company being sort of small town america um a place where you could go with grandma and bring the kids uh which sounds crazy because we live in chicago of course but um that was sort of the idea around it and i wanted a name that would feel uh that if you went to you know, middle of nowhere. If I if I took this concept to downstate Illinois, essentially, and that's kind of how the name came about. If I went to downstate Illinois, it would feel very comfortable there, of course. So I thought our market would be in a small town, if anything. So I kept thinking, okay, what's what what you know when I'm thinking like rural America, I live downstate. Like, what name pops in your head when you think of farming rural? And I know you know in Chicago, when you refer to anything outside of the city, it's usually any any place outside the city is usually referred to as downstate. So that's kind of how the name came about. If anything. I love that because uh, looking at your logo, your branding, and just the taste of the donuts, it's so comforting. And you're just in that um, experience of just being like a warm donut hug, especially with the sweet potato and the sour cream, two of my favorites. <laughs> You're a best uh, customer. <laughs> Thanks, David, is, David uh, is everyone's best customer. <laughs> when it comes to food, um, where did you come up with your brand? Because um, kind of to that uh, note, like your branding is just so uh, warm and welcoming. Um, can you tell us a little bit about like the colors, like? Uh, the logo. And yeah, so, so the branding was worked out through a company called Switch, which is based out of 1871. Um, and I had connected with them through the other company I started, uh, Run Free Media. And uh, I was sort of working on branding and concepts and video. That whole company was based on, on, on sort of like just media, video, stuff like that. And one of the gentlemen who was starting this new uh, marketing agency connected with me and he heard what I was doing with this donut concept and thought it was really amazing and decided, uh, let's, let's work together. Like we'll use you guys as sort of like uh, a case study. And um, from there, they just kind of, you know, did some research on us. Uh, they came out and visited a few farmers markets and uh, got a sense for what the business was, what the product was about, um, what our value add was to our, our consumer, of course, and sort of created this vision out of thin air. I mean, 
what we had previously was very primitive and I feel like was kind of a run of the mill donut shop, at least the, the initial logo we had. And I, you know, this being my third business, I really, I understood that, you know, the logo and the branding is not so much important. At least for me, it wasn't, the product was very important to me. And that was always a focal point of this business, of course. So um, the branding was kind of like their vision like my vision, I should say, put on paper um, and putting the color and all that stuff behind it is not something that that's not my forte whatsoever, of course. So I thought it was very interesting um, with what they came up with. Like they gave us three options. We looked through them. This was one of the first ones. And I mean, I remember smiling when I saw it because I was just like, wow, that's that's it. Like you, the logo itself, of course, has the little plant on there, which is actually the potato plant itself. Which I thought was a, a nice add. Uh, the color scheme is inviting. It's it's not very bright because our donuts are not very sugary. You know, they're not meant to blow out your palate and give you diabetes. Um, they're well balanced, and I call them Michelin star rated donuts for the fact because we spend so much time on ingredients and really trying to build a product essentially that. Um, it should build a donut that that connects to uh, someone who appreciates you know, good quality food and is, is probably maybe more uh, in tune with their with their day-to-day diet, of course. Um, and that was very important for me, of course. So yeah, I think that the branding looks really good. Um, the name definitely helped, of course, uh, and sort of having that idea of connecting to, you know, rural America and the farming community, of course. So you know, I, I'm I'm always happy with it. Um, I wouldn't tweak it. I wouldn't change anything about it, honestly. And David touched on flavors, and um, I'm curious to know what flavor did you win with, um, and and do you still have that flavor as one of your offerings? Yeah, so we we won with the the most basic donut you could possibly win with, which is a vanilla donut, a vanilla sour cream donut, which. To be honest, like um, when you look at top selling donuts in the nation, uh, vanilla and chocolate are purchased by far more than any other flavor, of course. doesn't matter what specialty flavor you have as a donut shop. You know, uh, people always default to those classics because, you know, they, they know those flavors, they're comfortable. Um, and they don't really change depending on, you know, where you go. Of course, you, you always know what vanilla and chocolate is what it tastes like. But I thought it was very interesting that in kind of this sea of well-established donut shops that were being very creative at this competition. We bought, we brought, you know, a, a, a very plain vanilla donut and people were just like minds blown. Like there was conversation happening outside, you know, outside the venue and they're like, these people are talking about you. Like it's really amazing. And I'm under you know the table, you know, glazing donuts, like what, <laughs> what's happening? Um, so yeah, it was it was that of course, and since then we've created some other flavors, and uh, it just kind of spiraled from there, spiraled outward, of course. But yeah, it was just a, a basic vanilla donut. And so, can you tell us like what are some of your other flavors? What are your some of your other favorites um, from your customers? And then, um, if you can tell us kind of what differentiates your donut and the natural ingredients that you use, um, talk about that um, and what sets you apart from like a box of Entenmann's. Yeah, so some of our flavors, what I love is that um, we're not afraid to sort of test your palate and really push the envelope on like what we think you will like because we like very simple flavors and we, we like it to, you know, whatever the name of the donut may be, if it's a strawberry donut or if you're blueberry, 
Um, that needs to be the focal point of the actual flavor. And that's one of my, my grievances with a lot of products um, on the marketplace today, especially with donuts is that, you know, they, they create these really over the top flavors and add all these um, processed ingredients and you just kind of get left with a mouthful of sugar uh, and a lot of flavors that don't really meld well together. Um, so what happened was, is like, after we won with the vanilla donut, it was like, okay, well, what else can we do that's fun? So sweet potato was the first thing that came to mind. Uh, and we created the sweet potato maple donut pretty much overnight. It was really quick. Um, just tweaked a couple of things. And then from there was, of course, another staple chocolate. Um, and I'm a, I'm a chocolate fan, so I wanted it to resemble a flourless chocolate cake. I kept thinking about the cake from Matilda, if you can remember that movie, um, where the kid is eating it on stage and he finishes it. That, uh, that cake, oh my God, I have dreams about that cake still. Um, so I wanted the donut to sort of resemble that, um, that flavor and sort of that mouthfeel and texture. So we built the donut to sort of, and that's kind of what we do. We try to find things that, you know, we like that are simple, good uh, staples, like our, our Vietnamese, our Vietnamese coffee, which I was very apprehensive about introducing that because it is a very specific flavor and you cannot walk into any coffee shop and find that, you know, unless you've been to Vietnam or you go to a Vietnamese cafe, which there are very few, uh, especially in Chicago. So when we introduced that flavor, I was like, this is really good, but I don't know if our customer base is going to love this. And it's overnight become, it's like a little sign, but actually, but um, it's one of our top selling donuts now. So we're just not afraid to push the envelope on flavors and say, okay, you know, we trust that, you know, we trust that, you know, us and you trust, you know, our ability to create some amazing stuff. Uh, let's see, you know, how complex your palate is, I guess, if anything. So, uh, but with that, you know, the, we've always focused on trying to use really good ingredients, as you mentioned, um, using organic. I mean, when it comes to fruits, it's usually organic fruits. Um, we use cage-free eggs now, which, you know, does it really make that much of a difference um, as far as flavor? No, but I think it's important to know that you're getting a, a quality product and, and it, I need that. I want it to match up with uh, clean eating and healthy eating and sort of promote that uh, daily lifestyle because that's something that I practice on a day-to-day -day basis, of course, also. And it's been life-changing for me. And I think it, it helps if we can sort of uh, attach ourselves to that and help promote that simultaneously, of course, also. So uh, as we get bigger, I hope that we can sort of build inroads with um, some of the more, uh, you know, some of the smaller farms and uh, bring on some more unique ingredients uh, from some local purveyors, of course, that um, will connect us even, you know, tie us even deeper into the farm community, or especially around the Midwest, of course. But, um, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to build a product, um, and if that's the focal point, you know, use the best stuff, you know, I guess is my thing. And I've seen so many chefs after being in the restaurant industry who are more focused on the bottom line and the overall aesthetics and sort of the presentation more so than the actual experience and enjoying the thing that you're there for. And that's usually, you know, the food. Um, so that's, uh, yeah, that will continue to be sort of our focus in going forward. You know, I, every time I look at our, our bottom line, I'm like, do we, you know, do we need that for, you know, that really expensive butter? We, yeah, we could, we could do it without it. We built the original recipe without those ingredients, but uh, it gives me peace of mind in knowing that, 
we're putting a little bit more effort into it and it shows we really care about uh, what we give to our customers, of course, also. I love the ethics behind it, especially from someone who loves donuts. Uh, when did you start doing farmer's markets? When did that idea first come up? And it's like, how do we get into this market? Is it a farmer's market? Is it knocking on every cafe? Uh, how did you branch out to get in front of folks? Uh, first, we started with uh, one of our friends who we opened a restaurant with. His name is uh, Daniel Barat. He owns um, Rewired uh, Cafe. It was very funny. What happened was the same week we sort of finalized our recipe, I was like, okay, let's just like play around with this and see if we can take it into the marketplace and just test it out somewhere um, on the low scale. So I approached him and I just kind of wanted to know that, you know, the, the numbers behind the business, like, okay, if I, if we start this wholesale business, um, at least that was the first direction was to go into wholesale. If we start this, what are the numbers? Like, what am I selling it for? I just, I didn't have that information. So I sat down with him and just so happens the same week, because uh, he, he carried donuts, the same week, his uh, donut company uh, that provided him donuts went out of business. And he's like, okay, so I don't have donuts any longer. Would you like to give it a shot? So we're like, okay. Um, we had no idea what we were doing, of course. And he got some really odd looking donuts for quite a few months there. But it gave us an opportunity to sort of figure out how to sell, uh, how to price, improve our production also, of course, also. And from there, we were like, okay, now we sort of worked out the kinks a little bit. Let's go and try and find other coffee shops similar to him that were sort of small mom and pop stores, I guess, if anything, or these little niche uh, cafes in, in small neighborhoods. And uh, because I felt like that would be the easiest approach so to get in with them. You know, you don't go try and, you know, get into Starbucks right out of the gate, obviously. You know, we have no name, no one knew we existed. I just figured let's just get the product in front of people's faces, if anything. Uh, so the, so after, you know, after Rewired, it was like, okay, let's go find some other shops. So I think we got into another four or five, um, I think within about two, two or three months after that, of course. And then Donut Fest happened, one Donut Fest. And it was like, okay, um, because I live in Andersonville, I thought it was important to sort of establish myself here because I knew that there's no donut shop here, uh, but there definitely was a demand for it, of course. And I thought, what better way to test, but especially in what feels like the small little rural town that I, <laughs> that I, I think this concept can work there, which is, which is Andersonville. You know, it, it's like this little, little oasis on the north side. I think it sort of represented what we felt, at least an area that we thought the concept could work well in. So um, working at farmer's market was a little bit daunting and it felt intimidating uh, because it's, it's just a completely different beast from working in a restaurant, of course. Um, but it's great because you, you get to meet your customer face-to-face. -face, you get that feedback almost instantaneously. And you get to sort of test your product on a week-to-week -week basis. Um, so launching, uh, approaching the Andersonville Chamber and saying, hey, you know, we want to give it a shot here was, uh, I thought there was no way we were going to get in, of course, because once again, no one knew who we were. Uh, we didn't have a brick and mortar. We still still don't have a brick and mortar. So we still get that. Uh, people get confused around that all the time. But uh, I thought as far as a game plan, it was do everything we can to avoid opening a traditional shop. Uh, because I've seen so many restaurants and concepts close 
you know, soon after opening investing, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um, and I thought, let's prove this concept out a different way. Let's just take a different track. Uh, and let's find a way that would minimize our costs, but give us the most exposure, of course. So that was sort of, I guess, the impetus behind that. And it's now branched out into trikes and other farmers markets. And now we're in retail stores. Uh, so the, the model has proved to work very well so far, put it that way. Um, I don't know why I have, I have an aversion to brick and mortar <laughs> concepts or something, or I'm not sure why that is, but, um, you know, I just figured like, you know, when you're scrapping, you have no money, you know, you're just going to try it the best you can to try and, um, you know, build your community around your product without really exposing yourself monetarily. And that felt like the best, you know, the best avenue, of course, for us. Tell us more, you know, obviously the trike is beautiful. Can you tell, so there's more than one trike because you plural. Yes. Okay. Um, tell us about how the trike came about. Um, can so, Laura buy one? I need to buy one. <laughs> yes. Well, it's just interesting, right? Because we just had Waste Not Compost on the um the podcast and they liam the owner of that business you know started out his composting with with a bicycle so he used to pull trailers full of of compost so um you know it's it's you know kind of wonderful to see you out there with your with your donut trike so yeah yeah i mean i could tell you it's sort of a marketing ploy to some degree um but it was sort of surrounding this whole idea of how do i sell my product you know with minimal investment and, you know, make it unique at the same time, because great, I have a, a phenomenal product, but if there's nothing that attracts you to my brand, I, you know, what am I doing here? Um, and I didn't have money for marketing dollars and advertising. And I thought, you know, one of the big things I, of course, I love all of the entrepreneurial um, podcasts and shows like Shark Tank. And one of the biggest influences on me was Barbara Corcoran. And she always talks about having your stick, your thing that, you know, stands out. And so for me, you know, food truck popped into my head initially. And then once I did some research and realized food trucks were dying in Chicago and the city was not really in big support of them. Uh, it was like, okay, so let's pivot. Let's figure out something else here. Since we're not doing a brick and mortar, how else do we scale this and sort of grow this concept around the city? So stumbling on food carts and, my travels to New York City, where that's very common, I thought maybe there's a way to do this. Um, but then you're thinking logistically, like, how do I get it to and fro and all these other complications around that? And I'm not sure how we landed on bikes, but um, I know I came across uh, another company that was selling hot dogs on bikes. And I thought, wow, that's very interesting. Um, I mean, pretty much would just set up shop and sell on the corner. And I'm thinking, you know, why not donuts? Like this is a universal thing. Everyone connects to this. I think I could get enough people to stop and buy it to, to make it a viable uh, business, of course. So, so the idea was, okay, great. We're, we'll do trikes, um, but it needs to, it needs to grab someone's attention. And, and every example I saw of a donut trike or sorry, not a donut trike, but any type of food cart or, food bike or whatever um was this sort of black box you couldn't see inside of it and i wanted to create that sort of that donut uh shop experience when you walk in and you see the racks of donuts in the back wall and you your eyes light up because there's so many variations and choices and you just go nuts with choosing you know different flavors before you know it you have a dozen um and i felt like 
if I can sort of take that concept and apply it to this bike, um, that'll work. Like that'll definitely work. So, so basically what happened was, was during the early days of COVID, um, I thought of this concept a long, a long time, put out the schematic, drawn out the schematics, pretty much put together something of what I, I thought I wanted, but I couldn't find anyone who manufactured anything like it. So um, I finally just bought the bike and said, I'll build it myself. So I spent about a week in my garage. I have a ton of tools um, just at my disposal. They, they need to be used. Otherwise, I can't justify the amount of money I spent on them. So, um, so I thought I'd put them to use, of course. And I had a vision for exactly what I wanted. And it came out exactly as I had envisioned. And uh, it, like immediately built a second one behind that, of course. And just kind of rolled it out like, hey, let's just see what happens. And I think more people take photos of our bikes and our donuts now. It's kind of funny, actually. Um, but they're so unique. Like, it's unlike anything. I just, I realized, like, there's nothing on the market like it. And I think that alone was a, a huge marketing ploy for us. And it's definitely paid off, of course. So I, I don't know if we will invest uh, a ton of time and attention into trying to grow a, a trike concept because we have to deal with the issues of Chicago and the seasonality of being on the street. And there's only certain times um, throughout the year we can sell. And then you have the restrictions of weather. So there are some limitations, of course, to, to having a, uh, you know, to having a trike business, I guess, if anything, or food cart business, but they are pretty unique. And uh, I think alone, if, if I, if the donut concept, I give up on this i might just start making tracks for a living i don't know they're <laughs> they're that unique of course sounds like you want to buy one so maybe i have, I have a customer already i'll take one i'll take a okay. I, I, yeah. I don't know what i'll fill it with i don't know some wares that i'll that i'll sell on the street but i'll take a do i'll take a donut trike um you know, and you talked about kind of, you know, being in Andersonville and partnering with Andersonville businesses and you recently um joined forces with Andale market uh, can you talk about the donut tot and uh, and how that concept came about? And David wants to know how many you can fit in your mouth at one time. Uh, I haven't experimented with how many donuts I can eat or tots I can fit in my mouth. I don't know. I'm going to go for three, maybe. <laughs> they're sizable. They're not very small. Um, I think they're definitely good size. <laughs> yeah, they're they're not very small, so you can't go nuts with them. Um, but the the tots were were someone actually approached us about introducing this into their business. Um, pretty big, pretty big company. It's like, hey, you guys um, want to you know be our donut supplier possibly? And we're like, great. You know, we have this. You know, here's our here's our selection. Uh, we sent them a bunch of donuts. They're like, no, 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 we want. We're thinking about the donut holes. So we're like, oh, okay. Like, we just make those for events. Like, that's kind of an afterthought. So. We realized they were interested. It was like, do we really want to, you know, take this on? Like, you know, we're doing well with the donuts. It seems like that'd be sort of a distraction. So kind of in the background, we were playing around with it and realizing, we realized very quickly, like, okay, um, once again, there really isn't a market for a really good quality donut tot or donut hole. You know, the ones you think of, you probably think of munchkins, which are Dunkin' Donuts and, uh, you know, I wouldn't recommend anyone eat those, unfortunately. Um, I'm sure they're delicious. <laughs> Someone from, from Duncan's listening. But um, it was like, okay, so if, if you're interested in carrying that, great. Let's just see what happens if we can come up with something that works. And 
we went to our, 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 our friends at switch and said, okay, we're working on this, this donut top we've sold before, you know, um, it's sort of in our, our, our repertoire, but it's nothing that, you know, we've given much attention. If we can put the right branding behind it and, you know, make it attractive enough, maybe this might be a viable product for uh, small markets retail and, and for this, this company that we were looking to work with. Um, so from there, it was just like, how do you, and you know, you have to also think that sort of what helped, I guess, propel this is the fact that COVID has kind of forced a lot of businesses uh, to sort of pivot and think of new ways to grow their concept. And I was already worried about, you know, the brick and mortar piece. And that's something that we're working on now. But it was like, okay, how do you grow the brand once again uh, with minimal investment and uh, get the name out there and sort of, um, you know, share this amazing product that we've built. And the donuts seem like a very obvious thing, especially the fact that we've kind of gotten our wholesale game together. And we're really good at that now. And uh, to add this on wouldn't be that much more difficult for us. So, um, so yeah, we, you know, we've, the whole donut tot name, of course, was just kind of just, you know, up there for great. It was just pretty obvious, like potato tots, potato, like how do you, you know, reference the potato and the donut? Because that's the thing that's most unique about our product. Um, and of course, when you think tater tots, you think bite-sized and I, and I wasn't going to call it donut holes. Cause I thought that was very generic, of course. And everything we do you know down to the trucks of course has to be different at least that's my concept like it always has there has to be a twist to it or something that's unique to our brand or product so um yeah donut tots popped into our head and uh it seems to have caught on a little bit so far you know it's in the early days of uh, of sort of working its way throughout chicago uh north side and and now we're in the loop now um and looking to go west we're in wicker park as well with this um so that that's kind of how I guess it culminated. If anything, I think it has the ability to go nationwide. Um, my my vision for this company is that it will not be solely here in Chicago. In fact, when I initially launched, uh, I was immediately thinking, how do we get this into small small college towns and other you know Midwest states? So even though we're in Chicago, I don't consider I don't consider Chicago our battleground. I think it's uh, small town America is, is where we're, we're trying to go after the Krispy Kremes of the world. I guess I should say so. Um, so yeah, the donut tots are just kind of another vehicle for us to sort of grow our brand and, and help share a product across across the nation. Sounds like you're going to have to get your donut tots in the hands of Bill Clinton because didn't uh, his diet of Krispy Kreme kind of launch that back when he was, you know, running for presidency and, and president. I did not. I didn't know he had an affinity for donuts. I, uh, I might have to stalk him now. I, I'm not sure if he does anymore, but well, he got he got healthy. Right. So I'm sure he liked this as an alternative because I'm sure I'm sure his doctor is not recommending Krispy Kremes for him anymore so I'm, I'm sure he's not no I've uh if you ever read the back of a box of those um you <laughs> yeah there's about a, there's about 150 ingredients in there I I would not recommend um it's a different product put it that way have you thought about doing any other flavors um cough cough Vietnamese coffee uh for the the tots <laughs> yeah you know um, things in this world there are some limitations on what we can do, at least at least for now. There's some limitations on what flavors we can. We have to change a few of our recipes. Um, 
but I have ambitions of introducing some additional flavors. Uh, specifically, I think our chocolate donut is, I'm in love with that thing. Um, so I would love for that to be our next flavor. Um, and once again, like just trying to, you know, keep sort of very basic flavors that everyone connects to, I think, to start. And then, you know, once we've sort of established ourselves and you know, we have our customer base there, I, I think it'd be interesting for us to sort of branch out and try experimenting with the Vietnamese coffee. But as one of the one of the key things is because we use all natural ingredients, what's interesting is our shelf life on our donut is longer to some degree, but it has a limitation. Uh, so because we're not using some of the, you know, the, the process um, stabilizers and things that are, you know, man-made um, to help preserve the integrity and texture and moisture, um, there is a limitation on what we can do, uh, right, at least right now. So we can find a, another way to make our gla that glaze a little bit more stable. Um, I definitely would be interested, of course. But for now, I, I guess it's just more or less like, you know, we, we won with vanilla. Uh, I still think it's probably one of our best donuts. Like I, you know, I, I have to taste us our donuts every day, of course. And I, I still like, I'm in awe, like, wow, this is really good every time I try it. So, uh, so we're going to stick with that for now. Yeah. So when we do our outdoor movies uh, in Andersonville, uh, we can play Matilda and we can have you come and hand out chocolate donuts. <laughs> <laughs> just Oprah style, just everyone gets a donut, right? Just throwing them out to the crowd. <laughs> I'm going to chant Bruce, 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 Bruce. Well, I'm curious to know, I am I was talking to David kind of before you came on um, the podcast, Virgil, about, uh, you know, the popularity of donuts kind of in general. Like, I'm not a sweet, I wouldn't, I was saying I could eat a taco all day long, but like, a, you know, but what do you think? why do you think people are drawn to donuts? What do you think it is about donuts that has people, you know, across the country when a new donut place opens up, there's usually a line around the corner for those places. What is it about, about the donut? It's like, it's, um, I was just thinking about this the other day. Uh, it's just kind of like that. It's a vehicle vehicle for pretty much anything. I mean, you can put anything on a donut and it tastes good. Um, and I feel like it's kind of almost like the hot dog. Um, you know, it's this very simplistic, easy thing um, that has flavor that everyone connects to. It's um, it's not very complex or fussy. Um, it's just like you can, you know, if you're thinking like a scone or something, there's only certain flavors you can pair up with that or a cinnamon roll. Like, you know, there's a limitation on what you're getting there. And with donuts, they're so versatile in what you can play with and put on them. Uh, that I think it just makes it so much more approachable for, for people, of course. Uh, I mean, not to mention they've been around for, you know, a century plus now. And in fact, one of the first, um, one of the first franchised donut concepts to go nationwide was a uh, potato donut, um, actually. So people think, you know, Duncan, Duncan came about, I think, in the 50s or so. But before that, and before Krispy Kreme, uh, the first, I think, nationwide concept was a potato donut. So so this has uh, been ingrained in history for quite a long time. Uh, unfortunately, it died off at some point. I'm not sure why that happened, but um, I do love donuts in the simple fact that, you know, it, it, it's like ice cream, you know, puts a smile on everyone's face. Uh, everyone enjoys a baked good, of course, and you, you just can't walk away upset with, with one, you know, I just, 
And it is interesting that 98% of people love donuts, um, which I think that is probably the most beloved tough. food item. Yeah, probably next to pizza, right? I mean, it's probably on par with pizza. Um, Anything within good. the Facebook uh, neighborhood groups, you ask anyone what's one thing they want more of? Donuts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's funny because I'm not a donut fanatic to some degree. Like, I love... Once again, chocolate brownies is like kind of my go-to. Um, and I would rarely buy donuts in Chicago, maybe once or twice a year, you know? Um, so I'm not part of that 2% that doesn't like them, not that crazy. But uh, I can say that, it's, yeah, it's just kind of like, I, it's it's cheap, it's approachable. I mean, anyone can afford one and they're easy to make, I guess. I don't know. Well, we talked to, um, we talked to the owner of Andale Mia before this interview as well. And so she sent through some questions for you that we'll, we'll uh, get to now, um, if you're ready for that. But she says, you're a bit of a one-man band wearing all the hats, including cook, distributor, businessman, PR, marketing, everything. What are your favorite parts of the business? And then what is your least favorite part of the business? Wow, that's, um, that's a good question. So I... I, I consider myself a serial entrepreneur. So the fact of like building something from scratch, I absolutely love that degree of, of, of like beyond just downstate, just I love sort of being the entrepreneur and being able to see, you know, an idea or concept, you know, you implement it and you see the effect of that almost instantaneously. Uh, but if I had to like sort of drill down to the actual roles in the business, it's definitely the marketing and advertising aspect of that. I've after working in the restaurant industry for 10 years, uh, I was on the back, I was in the back of the house and front of the house. I spent a lot of time in front of the house working uh, as a server, in fact, and um, being able to connect with your customer and talk about, you know, the attributes of, the, of, of you know, your food item and, and, and how it connects to them and, and to see their eyes light up and like, oh my God, that sounds amazing. I need to have that. Um, sort of the marketing and advertising sort of plays into that. And I've always been really good at that, of course. So that's definitely one thing that I love doing. I can tell you that I do not like um, purchasing <laughs> um, the pack the packaging that goes along, especially with the tots. It is a very monotonous, uh, very long task. The minute we can afford to buy a machine to do it, I will definitely invest in that, of course. Um, and that's pretty much it. I mean, I, I don't, I love sort of being in tune with what's happening in all aspects of the business because I get to see where we need to make improvements, uh, whether it's with production or quality control or um, figuring out a way to make the, the whole aesthetic more approachable and uh, kind of connect with our brand better. But um, even in the kitchen, you know, I, I love being there. And my favorite days are those slow days where we get to sort of take our time um, and it feels like you're cooking at home. I've never been one that's bored in the kitchen and it's kind of a, a stress reliever for me. It's that hobby that kind of a go-to, you know, some people wash clothes, uh, some people like to clean their house. Um, it, I, for me, it's cooking. Um, and I've always just, it's kind of been the place where I zone out and just kind of chill. So I very much enjoy that aspect of, of the business as well, but um, yeah, I'm involved in pretty much any and everything. It's quite a demanding schedule on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, 
I, I, it's not for the faint of heart. I put it that way, but I love a challenge. So I think that explains why I love doing everything. <laughs> Some people would say maybe it's a control freak, but uh, uh, I just, uh, when you have a very clear vision for what you want and what works and what doesn't, and especially after having, you know, so much experience in the food industry, um, you know, it, you kind of want to see that vision come to fruition and you'll do anything and everything to make sure it happens. And, yeah, so I, I never get bored. Um, that's just part of being an entrepreneur. You just you just don't get bored with those tasks at all. And so you just get burned out and then you're going to figure out. <laughs> you're going to hire somebody to take over some of those uh, less less uh, adventurous and less fun tasks, of course. Yeah. For sure. And so we are also joking, you know, that the commercial from years back where it was like, time to make the donuts for the yes yeah so what is what's the time to make the donuts for Joel? oh god um my schedule is insane so you know sometimes i'm up at 10 p.m uh start time you know 12 midnight um all the way through eight eight nine ten in the afternoon just depends on like what our order schedule looks like what deliveries look like um yeah, I rarely get any type of sleep, but uh, we try to make our donuts, you know, some places will make their donuts the night before. Um, I try to, I should say, you know, we try our best to make them when right before we deliver because uh, we want them as fresh as possible whenever they go out to our, our customers, of course. So, so those early mornings are, are pretty rough, but yeah, it's, um, it's when most people are sleeping. Believe me, I get to see the city when it's the most quiet every every day almost. And it's nice. There's no traffic. What can I say? I know I told David we needed to to actually record this at like 3 a.m. with you instead. I'd be so much more awake <laughs> <laughs> and vibrant and like, yeah, probably give you better answers too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, on a, on a more serious note, you know, we're coming off you know, yesterday with the verdict for the George Floyd uh, murderer. And last summer you shared a post about being a black business owner and what it felt like to see small businesses being destroyed, um, but also understanding what triggered everything. What can we as a community do to support our black and brown community members and business owners? Um, kind of, especially at this time, you know, we're, we're Andersonville is a predominantly white business district where, you know, David and I are at the chamber and, you know, we have, we're, we're, we're white individuals and we have a, a mostly white board. So how can, how can we support black and brown business owners? Uh, well, obviously for me, you know, that was really, it, it, let me explain even further. So I was so business, I was so busy around that time. Um, even during COVID, you know, I was, trying to find ingredients because there was a shortage on everything. And we still had a lot of our wholesale accounts were still selling our product at that point in time. Um, so when I heard the news of what happened, it was so desensitized. I think for a lot of people, you know, you, you're always hearing these events happening around, you know, someone being killed, especially with police and involving a, a black individual. And um, I didn't really, it didn't perk my ears up initially because it was just like, oh, here, you know, another situation. And um, all of a sudden, you know, I try to keep in line with what's happening in the news. And, you know, two days later, I'm like, what is going on? This is really, like, people are really upset about this. Like, this, this I keep reading report after report. And when I finally read what happened, I haven't seen the video still. I just read what happened. And I immediately, like, 
it just broke something inside of me. I was I was so upset and distraught over what happened because even in my own life, I've experienced discrimination, uh, whether it be subtle or through police um, and being randomly stopped for things that made absolutely no sense to be let off with the warning because they realized like, oh, he's an educated black man who, you know, who's not hustling dope, you know, out of his car or whatever. Um, and, they, you know, all of a sudden it's like, oh, okay, you're fine. You know, you're good to go. And you're just like, why did we have this moment to begin with? Um, you know, I'm a law-abiding citizen. So that whole moment just kind of, I think, released a bunch of, it tapped into some repressed feelings that I'd had um, in my own experiences, of course, but it really did hurt, you know, to see a lot of small businesses that were sort of destroyed in the aftermath around that because COVID had already wiped out quite a few. And a lot of friends that I know of, especially in the industry, uh, were out of work or their businesses were on, you know, hanging on by a thread. Um, and some of those, unfortunately, suffered even worse damage because of this. But, um, you know, if, if, to just kind of circle back what you asked about supporting Black businesses, it's don't discredit Black businesses, I think, uh, as a whole. And this is just to the population in general. I'm aiming this at is I think people think black businesses are 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 focused only on the black community or they're like this I don't know there's these small entities that like great you know you're doing something amazing and that's good but you know how does that relate to me or you know you know go focus on your demographic I think is kind of the feeling that some people have they won't come out and say that so uh, for me when I you know when I when I start businesses I'm thinking about my my customer base is, is the world at, at whole, you know, and um, I didn't, you know, even up until the point where I made that post, I was a little bit apprehensive in even attaching black owned to it because I didn't want to have any negative association with it or people have any bias against the business because it was partly black owned. And I was, you know, pretty much the, the driver of this business. Um, and, you know, I remember talking with a friend about this and I was like, yeah, I kind of didn't want to mention that it was a blackout business, but I thought it was important after that to say like, hey, this, you know, this amazing concept and, and pro, you know, and product that you love so much. Yeah, that's, that's a blackout business because I've had, and I, and I can tell you, I've had people who on the street uh, who are not from Chicago that, you know, they'll walk up even to the trike and they're like, oh my God, this is great. You know, who came up with this and all that stuff. And, and when I tell them it's me, they kind of look like, wow. Um, Really? You know, I think they expect that there's probably a white face behind this and it doesn't so much hurt. It's just surprising that people, unfortunately, have those biases and, um, you know, but I'm, I'm here to help break those and help educate the world and sort of, uh, you know, I don't know, help move people in the idea of like, you know, give everyone a chance. You know, I was raised with the idea of treating everybody equally and you know, race was never a focal point for my parents and saying, and how I identified with the world. So yeah, I, I feel like, you know, having access to funds is very important, of course. Um, a lot of, you know, Black individuals do not have ties to, and they don't have the networks, I should say, to, to, to find funding. Um, many of them are struggling. They can't go to friends and family and borrow, you know, 20, 50, $100,000, just like that as many of you know white counterparts could um so that's a that's a big problem obviously of course and i think the biggest thing is just like you know i appreciate 
even the community of Andersonville, you know, focusing on helping black owned businesses and that being a focal point, which is important. But, uh, you know, I, I feel like just treat everybody with, you know, the same merit that you would any, any other business, you know, um, if, if I have a bad concept, it shouldn't survive. Let's put it that way. You know, I don't need to, you know, have a handicap because I'm black owned at the same time. Um, but having access, uh, you know, to funds and, and that, that's, that's another discussion around, you know, the financial world and how they lend money and all that stuff, of course. But um, yeah, you know, Andersonville, unfortunately, has, I don't even know, does it have a black owned business besides ourselves? I, you know, I, I'm sorry, I'm a resident here, but I can't say I even know if there's any black owned businesses in um, in this community. And that's partly because a lot of black people can't afford to live here, um, sort of. Um, there's, you know, black residents, obviously, but that and, and the cost of rent, I mean, you really have to have the financial backing to, to make a concept work here. Um, uh, and you, you have to have, you know, you have to know what you're doing, obviously, you know, even beyond that. Um, so, yeah, it was it was a very it's it's still hard for me to swallow what happened. And it still gets me upset to know um, the way in which George Floyd uh, left this world. Um, but, it, you know, if we're focused on we're focusing on businesses, I think, um, you know, just just give us an, a fair shot. That's all. That's all I could say, you know, uh, I think my business is capable of being as big of, you know, Krispy Kreme, you know, and, I, and that's why I consider them, you know, my competitor and why I'm thinking of them as being my competitor, because, you know, I have the skill set and fortitude and knowledge to get there. Um, and I need other people to believe in me and see that as well and not so much. Um, yeah, not so much, uh, I guess, attach this label of, you know, great you know you're educated and all that stuff and, and and you have a vision and all that but you know you don't really know what it's like to run you know a company of this size or you know to make it in the world of other these these other companies that were established by white individuals i guess if anything so it's just like an amazing um you know thoughtful re response and you know anything that you know that we can obviously do to kind of get you there to you know, take down krispy kreme We'd love to do that. But, um, you know, you're such an inspiration. And I'm wondering if you have kind of any advice for, you know, um, up and coming entrepreneurs like yourselves, uh, you know, yourself that, you know, you know, what can they do? You know, you, you, you know, stated that you had, you know, you're onto the, your third business, right? Like, so that about that trial and error aspect and the willingness to take risks. Um, um, what advice would you have for, for folks? Uh, don't, uh, don't spend all your time thinking about what you want to do. Just kind of go out there and make those mistakes. I, I can tell you, you know, we're still learning a lot about, we first started, I put it this way. When we first started, we were working out of, um, we started in a commercial shaped kitchen and realized that's really pricey. We can't afford that right now. So we had friends in the industry and we had a friend who was willing to lend his kitchen to us. And unfortunately, his kitchen is, is, uh, was um, once a Chinese restaurant. So it had a huge wok in it, um, which is not a fryer. It's really hard. If you've ever seen a wok burner, they burn it like, I don't know, 600 degrees. So it's really hard to keep your oil temperature level. And I was just like, all right, you know, this is what we're working with. Let's do it. Like, we'll figure it out. That's literally my, my response to everything. We'll figure it out. It's okay. We'll get through it. Like, um, so I, I tell most 
you know, business owners, if you're looking to start a new concept or something, um, one, you know, does it work? Is there a market for it? How are you unique? Uh, what's go- what stands out from something else or find it, a co- find a competitor, compare yourselves to them. How are you different? And then, uh, just do it. Like, you know, buy whatever equipment you need to do, or hopefully it's not something you need to, you know, go and invest in manufacturing for, but, uh, I think it's that and, and you just can't give up and you're, you're going to get depressed and you'll get upset and you'll get mad and you'll get door slammed in your face, but just, uh, keep plugging away at it. And hopefully you find out really quickly whether or not it's, it's going to work, put it that way. It's almost farmer's market season. Where do you see downstate within the next six months? Where can we find you this summer? So we will be all over the place. Um, <laughs> if you're walking down a random street, boom, you'll see us. Uh, no, so we'll be at uh, the farmer's market in Andersonville. Uh, we'll also, we'll be starting at the Evanston farmer's market uh, coming up in about a week and a half as well. Um, Logan Square will be at that farmer's market towards uh, the end, uh, actually beginning of fall. And then our trikes, of course, for the past five or six months have, we've been doing pop-ups in the West Loop area, Loop area, and uh, River North, as well as Andersonville. And we hope to sort of make our way over to uh, Lincoln Square also. So you'll be able to uh, find our schedule online. Uh, it's usually updated weekly. We've been really bad about doing that over the past couple of months because we've been so busy in the kitchen. Uh, but even if you can't make it out to those venues, uh, you can always order for delivery on Saturday and Sunday mornings. Uh, if you order 24 hours in advance, uh, you will get donuts delivered to your door fresh in the morning. Um, and then beyond that, we are now selling our donut tots, of course, at Andale Market in Andersonville, as well as uh, Tato's Market and Printer's Row and Olivia's Market and uh, Wicker Park. So we are kind of everywhere. What is your delivery area for your donut orders? So it's as far south as Chinatown, all the way north to Evanston and as far west as Avondale, or what would that be? Logan Square, yes. So Logan Square is probably like our cutoff. And we get emails all the time like, hey, can you come out to the Burbs? Or like, you know, can you come? It's like, no, sorry. <laughs> it's a very it's a very busy, tedious day um, on the weekends. And we have a very short window to make it to all of our destinations, uh, especially as as the world open back opens back up, um, you know, the streets get very busy. So it becomes very difficult to move, move down around the city. But uh, yeah, that's our delivery zone. And, and will you do um, like special event pop-ups to say like someone wants to hire you for, for a party or anything like that, or an event? Do you do that? Yeah. Too? So, um, so yeah, we do quite a few events. We've done quite a few previous to, you know, the whole shutdown. Uh, we'll be focusing doing a lot more events with our trike. So if people want to rent our trike uh, along with donuts, of course, do pop-ups at their residence or a private function, um, we'll be doing those, of course, promoting that as well as um, just catering donuts and donut tops to, you know, random people around the city. Um, so you can always reach out to us at tastyatdownstatedonuts.com and uh, we'll set something up with you. I mean, you can get a donut tower of tots. I'm like, yeah, so, <laughs> so like you saw that. Ever. <laughs> it's, uh, I have uh, a few friends that 
really amazing friends they were getting married and they're like we want you to do donuts and i was like all right we can't just just do like once again this is me we can't just do donuts we gotta do something cool we gotta do something different so uh so i was was trying to figure out i think someone had done something around this before like it's not an original idea uh but i found these donut like sort of tots uh wall or something like that and i figured like all right let's get these two spires and just stick donut tots all around them so we did these two huge, like, I think they were probably about three foot tall spires of, and there were two of them, just full of donuts. And I think everyone wanted to skip the reception to get to, I'm sorry, skip the wedding to get the reception to eat donuts. Like, and they were gone in a matter of like 10 minutes. It was crazy. Um, but yeah, we also do that. So we're not afraid of a challenge. As I said, I, I love a challenge. You bring it to me. I'm like, let's figure out how we can do it. Unless uh, I'm on no sleep. And then I'm like, uh, I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> Which brings us to our rapid fire questions. We do. We, we have a we have a couple rapid fire. So um so one of them is when do you when do you sleep? <laughs> like I have the most weird schedule. I sleep three hours at a time. Like that's <laughs> it's like I, I sleep. When do I sleep? Usually like midday, and then I'll get up and email and purchase orders and all that stuff, and then. I'll crash again at like seven and then get back up at like 10. So it's, I have the, the weirdest schedule. Have you always been like that or is it uh, just with this, this industry? No, it's only been since, uh, since this concept, like it was really, I mean, you know, working in the, in the food industry, uh, especially in the, you know, restaurants and nightclubs, uh, you know, I'd get home at four o'clock in the morning. So Usually my sleep pattern was like, go to sleep at 4.30, wake up at noon. Uh, and now it's the complete opposite of that. It's, you know, wake up at 10 p.m. and then work until noon. Um, so it, it's rough. It is rough. I would not recommend anybody start anything bakery related if you love sleeping because you won't get any. Good luck to you. True. Yeah. And what about some, you know, so if you have downtime, do you watch any TV? What do you do for self-care? So I do have this like little thing and my girlfriend makes fun of me because when I do work, I have to have the television on for some reason. I don't know why that is. And I can't tell you what's happening. Like if you recap what happened, I have no idea what happened in the episode. It's just kind of background noise. But if I am paying attention, it's usually um, uh, The Office and I love um, The Office is just amazing writing. Like it makes me laugh. I'll watch the same episode a thousand times. And uh, The Deadliest Catch, I love shows that are like sort of raw, gritty, real uh, reality shows that aren't so much um, scripted, you know, of course. So yeah, I love, love things like that, of course. Anything nature related, planet Earth. Um, I like a, a lot of nature and space related stuff too, yeah. Do you wanna ask Laura, donut hole or donut hole? Well, that was my play on words, but because you're the donut Todd, it doesn't really work. But yeah, my joke was, do you like a donut hole or a donut hole? Right. <laughs> um, I know it's Todd. We got to stay with Todd, right? Stay on brand. You got to stay um, with Todd. We got to stay on brand. I know. Mm-hmm. Um, so definitely if, it, okay, if I'm personally, it'd be a, a donut. It'd be like a traditional donut. That's because like, it's just so versatile. I think I mentioned that we're like, you can create some of the different flavors and toppings with that. As opposed to our donut holes, like you're kind of limited in, in what you can do with those. They're good, don't get me wrong. Especially like, 
if you're trying to refrain from eating a thousand uh, calories in one sitting, uh, they're nice to have because you can kind of control uh, your portions a little bit better with tots, but it's got to be donuts. Yeah. Well, and I, I think I forgot to ask, um, you know, when you had popped up when we were doing our puzzle exchange event, I, I had purchased, you also started selling the Rise iced coffee, the oat milk mocha yeah. canned of coffee. How did you discover that product and what made you start um, selling that as well? So one of our, our cafe partners um, had just opened up a, lo- a new location and I was thinking about doing a cold brew donut. And uh, we couldn't find a coffee that worked well. So I, I think I was like, all right, well, we need, we need to start carrying coffee. We wanted to start carrying coffee on our trikes. And that led to a conversation with one of the, uh, one of the I think one of the saleswomen for Rise. And I was like, hey, by any chance, have you guys done a, a Rise flavored donut with anyone? Because they partnered up with a few other different concepts before. And that led to a conversation with the owners like out of nowhere. And it's like, oh, you guys want to do a donut concept? So we started talking with the guys at Own Rise and they sent us a bunch of coffee to play with. And uh, we landed on a flavor that we loved. And since then, it's just kind of been on the menu. So we have, uh, it's people don't order as much. I think the Vietnamese is very popular right now. Uh, but the rise has a really amazing flavor and it has a lot of caffeine. Uh, unfortunately, we had someone who tried it and he ate it, I think at like nine or 10 o'clock at night and was up until 3 a.m. the next morning from this donut. And he's like, I was up all night because of your donut. And I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, man. I had no idea. <laughs> had to put so him to work. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I like we the problem is, is like we just we're trying to achieve that flavor. So I think we just we just kept adding coffee, more coffee, more coffee, more coffee, and finally got to the the flavor that we wanted. But it has a ton of caffeine. So it's a great early morning donut. I, I can tell you that. Much, so. so it needs yeah, to come with a warning. <laughs> yeah, it really should. It really should. But um, yeah, the guys at Rise have been amazing. And, uh, you know, we, we carry their products up until now, of course. So, yeah. Laura, we have to think of a submission to see if we can get an Andersonville donut. It's true. We need an Andersonville donut. It needs to be like lingonberry. Or cardamom or both. So, or, herring, or herring. You're not too far off. Um, it was like, so the, so the owner of um, Scott, the owner of Simon's Tavern, uh, he does the glog, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and he makes his glog with like some really amazing, really expensive currants. And we're thinking about teaming up with him to buy, cause he makes them in house. He does some like special recipe with different spices and seasonings. And we're looking to incorporate that into our donut bread pudding, which is another product that you really cannot find anywhere, but it's really amazing. So, uh, you might actually see an Andersonville inspired product very soon, actually. That's amazing. I know. That's really amazing. <laughs> If you were to switch with one business for like a day in Andersonville, what business would you choose? To to run or hang out or to run? You have to work. You you have to work there. You have to. You're gonna. Yeah, it's not just you're not gonna go to a bookstore and read. You're gonna have to lift the book. <laughs> oh wow. Oh okay. Well, I know Andersonville pretty well. Let's see. That's a good question. Um. Wow, you're making me think really hard here. So, 
Wow, that's a good one. Uh, probably the flour is very interesting. Um, the whole world of gluten-free is just like, I don't even know how we came up with our gluten-free donut. Please don't ask me because I can't remember what works and how it works and how we created that. But I really be interested in figuring out like how that, just the whole world of gluten-free. And she has a really, she's curated a really great, amazing, Joanna has created a fantastic community of people and followers. Uh, there would be awesome. And then besides that, um, probably the wooden spin because they do um, demonstrations there. And I've always wanted to sort of be a part of that and see what that's like. And I'm sure it's probably a lot of fun, of course, and you get to meet some of the, the residents also. So yeah, I think that'd be fun. Everything's food related. I don't know why I'm so attracted to food in general. You're in good company. Yeah. You'd love to Oh yeah. <laughs> you threw me for a loop on that one. Cause I'm like, well, I don't really want to work anywhere. <laughs> I want to sleep. <laughs> find well, me, we will... find me a business with a pillow and like, I'll, <laughs> I'll go there. Pillows. Well, don't early to beds, early to bed storefront spaces is very trick tricky because you think it's a mattress store and then you go in and it's yeah. not a mattress store. Yeah. <laughs> There's no pillows in there. Yeah. <laughs> A lot of excitement. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll let you get some sleep. And uh, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, we've appreciated having you on the podcast. It's a pleasure. Yes. So for more information about Downstate Donuts, people can visit downstatedonuts.com. And for show notes on today's episode, you can visit andersonville.org. Always Andersonville, the podcast is produced by the Andersonville Chamber of Commerce and currently recorded on Zoom. We thank you for your listenership, and if you like the podcast, please subscribe and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcasting platform. We are also actively looking for podcast sponsors to sustain our projection. Please email us at info at andersonville.org for more information. Thank you for your continued support, for staying active in our community, and for staying always Andersonville.